We get to our main one, which is Joshua 22. We are skipping a number of chapters there, not because they are not important, but because the basis of those for study is involved with other aspects that we're not getting into as we study the book of Joshua. It's important for us to know where all the borders were, and that's why all those things are in there, and sometimes when you're doing some of the other studies, we're looking at how those borders come into play. But we don't need all that. We had a fun time with the understanding the borders last week. For those who were here, I thought I had fun with it anyway. <laughs> but we're going to pick up at one spot in Joshua chapter 14, our old buddy Caleb. He comes up at verse 6. Then the children of Judah came to Joshua in Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. It was a good report. That's what was in his heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance, your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness, the rest of the people, of course, had fallen off except for Joshua and him. And now here I am this day, 85 years old. As yet, I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. <laughs> 85 years old, as strong as he was there at 40. Good for him. That's what we ought to be doing. As yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war. Both go, for going out and for coming in. So he says, the same guys I could take on when I was 40, I can take on at 85. <laughs> I had no problem here. <laughs> now therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in the day how the Anakim were there, and that that's the giants, and the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron formerly was Kirjath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. Then the land had rest from war. So he said, tell you what, why don't you give me the toughest spot? Give me the place with all the giants and the places with all the great fortified cities that scared all the other people and give that to me and I'll go up and take care of it. <laughs> that's that's uh, quite a guy. So, uh, so that's Caleb. That's where he's at. He didn't really do a whole lot like Joshua did. He didn't really soar in the area of leadership, but he certainly uh, held his own. Jump on over to, jo to uh, Joshua 16. We'll see a little bit different attitude with Ephraim. The border of the children of Ephraim, according to the, their families, was thus. This is uh, chapter 16, verse 5. The border of their inheritance on the east side was Ataroth Adar, as far as Upper Beth Horon. And the border went out toward the sea on the north side of Maketha. The border went around eastward to Tanath Shallow and passed by it on the east of Jananath. I'm sorry, Jananha. Then it went down from Janana to Ataroth and Nerah, reached to Jericho and came out at the Jordan. The border went out from Tapu 
westward to Brook Kanah, and it ended at the sea. This was the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Ephraim according to their families. The separate cities for the children of Ephraim were among the inheritance of the children of Manasseh. All their cities were with their villages, and they did not drive out the Canaanites who dwelt in Gezer, but the Canaanites dwelt among the Ephraimites to this day and have become forced laborers. So there's a bunch of Canaanites that they did not drive out. Now you remember when, when they were first prophesied over, and we had Manasseh and Ephraim up before the, the uh, grandfather, and he said the younger will become great. He said the, young, the, the youngest or the oldest would become a great tribe, but the uh, younger would become greater. That Ephraim would become greater than Manasseh. And we said you know, later on that the whole tribe of the northern tribe of Israel would at times be called Ephraim. They would be known by the whole, that one tribe. But here they didn't do so well at driving everybody out. In verse 14, then the children of, in chapter 17, verse 14, then the children of Joseph spoke to Joshua saying, why have you given us only one lot and one share to inherit since we are a great people inasmuch as the Lord has blessed us until now? So Joshua answered them, if you are a great people, then go up to the forest country and clear a place for yourself there in the land of the Perizzites and the giants since the mountains of Ephraim are too confined for you. But the children of Joseph said, the mountain country is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites who dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron, both those who are of Beth Shem and in the towns and those who are of the valley of Jezreel. So they were a little terrified of the uh, chariots that were down in there. A little different from Caleb's attitude. <laughs> and Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, saying, You are a great people and have great power. You shall not have only one lot, but the mountain country shall be yours. Although it is wooded, you shall cut it down. And its farthest extent shall be yours, for you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots and are strong. So Moses had a higher opinion of them than they did of themselves. But I want you to notice this too, that he said, take over to the wooded country and cut it all down. And make yourself some rooms there. No environmentalist there. <laughs> if you wonder what God's view is of cutting down forest places, to put, make room for people, here it is right here. Cut it down. <laughs> Don't let all those environmentalist people think that they're, they're defending the things of God. They are not. They are not. When God gave the Garden of Eden to Adam, He said, keep it. Which means you cut some stuff out, you plant some other stuff, you keep it going. I've told you the stats on it before, but the amount of trees that are in the United States of America now are more than when the settlers first came. There are more now than there were then because we keep it. If you just let nature go wild, it doesn't do as well. That's why when you have farms and gardens, do you just throw the seed out there and let it grow any which way it wants to? What do you do? You have rows. You have order. Because a garden that has rows and order produces more than one that is haphazard. And in nature, the trees grow haphazard. But we can get in there and we can fix it. And we can make it grow right because that's what God told us to do. Keep it. So he told them here, all those wooded areas, just cut them down. Apparently, God says, my, my world will do just fine. <laughs> and it will, has for all this time. So they requested more land and, and Joshua's words are, you are a great people and have great power. If you went over to Joshua chapter 20, we find the cities of refuge there. There are six cities of refuge. There are three 
on the west side of the Jordan and three on the east, which is particularly interesting since there is less land on the east side of the Jordan than there is on the west side. But they put three and three, or there's two and a half tribes on the on the east side, and there's um, the rest of them. I can't even count it now. <laughs> the rest of them on the other side. You got to knock out the Levites and that in this and all that sort of stuff. But anyway, all the rest of them are all there, but they have three on that side and three on the other. There will be six cities of refuge, and these uh, cities of refuge actually become Levite cities. And if you had killed someone, then you could go and flee to the city of refuge until the the high priest dies. And at that point, then the laws change and, and some other things come on. But as long as you are not guilty of murder, this will work for you. If you're guilty of murder, it's not going to work. Then in uh, Joshua 21, we have the list of the cities of the Levites. The cities of the Levites, they, were given, they weren't given an inheritance, but they did need to have some land to live on. And so what they did was they had a certain number of cities inside each of the tribes. And so they were given the city and its suburbs. Now, a suburb for these folks is different than a suburb for us. And for them, a suburb, they had two suburbs to the city. The first suburb was a thousand cubits out from the wall. And that went all the way around the city. That uh, for feet wise, it's 2,083 feet. Four inches, if you want to get specific, but 2,083 feet and four inches. And then they had another one that went 2,000 cubits outside of where that first thousand had stopped so you got three thousand cubits that is basically covered which is roughly around a mile about a mile around there now they use this for gardens vineyards and other purposes uh, just to make life comfortable and to enjoy life that's what it was basically for that's what their suburbs were for different from what we would think of as suburbs so when you see that that doesn't necessarily mean the same thing that it does to us but now we get to the heart of what we're going to get into here joshua chapter 22 the eastern tribes are returning back over to their land that they were given. And Joshua called the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh and said to them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you and have obeyed my voice in all that I commanded you. And you have not left your brethren these many days up to this day, but have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brethren as he promised them. Now therefore, return and go to your tents and to the land of your possession which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. But take careful heed to do the commands, commandment of the Lord. I'm sorry, do the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments, to hold fast to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So he says, you kept your word. You did everything that was asked of you. You did all that you said you would do. Keeping your word involves more than doing just what you said. It also involves doing what is asked. And he says, you kept your word. Return and take diligent heed to do the command of the Lord. Here's what he said. To love the Lord your God. To walk in all his ways. To keep his commandments. Now notice he has a difference there. There's a difference from keeping the commandments of God and walking in the ways of God. You have to learn His ways the same way you have to learn His commandments. And He said, walk in those things. To hold fast to Him. So to love the Lord your God is not always the same thing as to 
hold fast to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. With everything in you, serve him. Don't hold anything back. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away and they went to their tents. Whatever other blessing he put on them, we don't know. It's not recorded in there, but he blessed them and sent them on off. Now the half-tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given a possession in Bashan, but the other half of, of a Joshua gave a possession among the children on the, this side of the Jordan, westward. And indeed, when Joshua sent them away to their tents, he blessed them and spoke to them, saying, Return with much riches to your tents, with very much livestock, with silver, with gold, with bronze, with iron, and with very much clothing. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brethren. Well, they got all that from all the places that they cleaned out. So the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned and departed from the children of Israel at Shiloh, which is on, in the land of Canaan, to go to the country of Gilead, to the land of their possession, which they had attained according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. Verse 10. And when they came to the region of the Jordan, which is in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, built an altar there by the Jordan, a great, impressive altar. Now the children of Israel heard someone say, Behold, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. They ought to just find a way to shorten that, you know? I mean, how many times they keep saying that? Have built an altar on the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region of the Jordan, on the children, on the children of Israel's side. And when the children of Israel heard it, the whole congregation of Israel, the children of Israel, gathered together at Shiloh to go to war against them. Now this is interesting. First off, it is a great and impressive altar. We're not told a whole lot of details of it. We're not told how high it was, how many cubits wide it was, or. Uh, what it was made of or what kind of material they used or how much gold was in there or whatever. We're just told it was great and that it was impressive. So you get the idea that obviously it's big. You don't just throw it together real fast. This took some time because you don't make a great and impressive altar in an hour. <laughs> an altar is going to take a little bit more time than that if you're going to make it great and impressive. Yeah. Now, it says that the children of Israel heard someone say. Oh, I'll tell you what. How many times have we heard someone say something? Just in passing, you're just going about your normal business and all of a sudden someone says something. Someone says something about a thing. Someone says something about somebody else. Somebody says something that concerns you or whatever it might be and they just say it. And what happens with us? Sometimes we go, oh man, that, that happened. Oh, and we get upset, we get angry, we get happy, we get joyful, we get jealous, we get envious. All kinds of emotions come up, depends on what someone said and about who they said it. But this is all that we're told. They heard someone say. Now, of course, they didn't have newspapers, news choppers and other type of devices that they could see the impressive altar. All that they heard was these folks have gone over there and they built an altar. Three things to consider we gave you. Whenever you hear someone say something. Because tomorrow you will hear someone say something. And the day after that you will hear someone say something. But there's always three things to consider whenever you hear someone say something. No matter what it is. Anything that they say 
Always remember these three things. First off, the character of those involved. That includes the character of the person who's giving the report. If they are a person of good character, then you might put a little more weight to it than if they are a person of questionable character. If they are a person who has produced things in the past that have not been truthful, if they are a person who has in the past produced things that are very reputable, that should impact what you, how you respond to what they say. Well, then you're not letting go of the past. Hogwash. You are your reputation. The children of Israel, or the, these uh, three tribes, Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said to them, you held to your word. You did all that was asked of you, and you accomplished all you said you would. Now go and be blessed. They did those things. They showed their character. The character of the people involved in any report that you get is huge. And you must always consider the character of the people that are involved. Because if they are people that are of questionable character, until they get over that questionable character traits, they will continue to act accordingly. And you cannot tell if they are acting according to the questionable character or if they actually have some truth. I heard some, you've probably heard someone say this too. A blind squirrel every once in a while finds a nut. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, every once in a while, even the person of the most questionable character can find some truth <laughs> and actually expand on something that's actually truthful. But generally, people of questionable character find things that are questionable to also believe. So, first thing, whenever you hear someone say, I notice that the Bible never says who said it. Never talks about who it was who said it. But somehow, someone said something and all Israel heard it. I think that's absolutely amazing. Because it doesn't say a group of people. It just says someone said something and now all Israel is ready to go to war. That, that carried around. And this is why we've got to be careful of the things that we say. Because what you say gets passed on to other people. Three things to consider. The first thing, the character of those that are involved. Here's the second one. The facts of what is said. Just because you hear something does not mean there is any fact to it. You must check it out yourself. It may be something you want to believe. It may be something you don't want to believe. Whatever it is, check out the facts yourself. Now you say, I don't have time to check out the facts of everything that I hear people say. And you probably don't. But if you are going to state it, Yourself, you must check out the facts. Otherwise, your character will come into question. Never repeat a story that you have not checked out. Don't do it. Now, I want to show a hands here. How many people have ever had an email that has been floating around the, the Internet forwarded to you from me? That's what I thought. You know Why? Because I don't do it. They die with me. Just about everyone. Truthful or not. They generally die with me. I don't forward them. I have people that forward them to me. And some of them are funny. And some of them I chuckle at. And some of them I laugh at. But if I'm going to use anything out of the email at all. I always, always check it out. I'll take some of the facts that they put in that email. And I'll put it into a little search window. 
and I'll pull up some things that I can find out about it. Most times I find out this isn't so. <laughs> it's just one of those things that's floating around the internet. And, um, but you know, you got to make sure that you do it because sometimes it can dislodge in your, in your brain. And then all of a sudden you just utter it because you're on that conversation with somebody and you never checked it out. And now all of a sudden you said it as a fact. Whether it's something about somebody, about an event, about something that's going on, check out the facts before you open your mouth on the thing. Because it's, uh, it can, it can come back to bite you. Just because somebody is talking about it doesn't mean that it is factual. They may believe it's factual. They may be saying it because they believe it to be true. But it doesn't mean that it is. Doesn't mean you have to check it out. It just means if you want to use it or base anything off of it, you better check out the facts that are on the report. Otherwise, it's just hearsay. Three things to consider. The character of those involved. The facts of what is said. And here's number three. The impact of actions taken. You need to consider what is the character of the people that are involved. What are the facts of what they said. And if I take action and go in a certain direction with this, what are the impacts upon people for me doing that? If I begin to say this report, what are the impacts that will come from that? If I believe this report, if I speak this report, if I act on this, what, what will come about? What are the impacts? Sometimes we don't think things through. And we just say stuff, and oh man, I didn't know that would come back to bite me like that. Well, think about it. Think about it. What are the character of those involved? What are the facts of what is said? And the impact of the actions taken. Now, this is only three steps. It's not many. But for a lot of people, to say, man, that's an awful lot to do. I'd rather just hear it and say it. <laughs> and that's where your character will be. If you want your character to be based on who you are, then stop speaking what other people have said to you. Check it out yourself. Make it your own. Understand it fully. Make sure that you know what is said. Because there's a whole lot of things floating around out there. Some of it's true. Some of it's not so true. Make sure you check it out. Make sure you research it. Every once in a while, we're going to have some things slip through. And, you know, we tried to, to figure that out. But, but if you spend time on these three things, the character of the people involved, the facts of what is said and the impact of the actions taken. Whatever actions I might take based on these things that I heard. It can sure weed out a whole lot of trouble in your life. So I wonder first off who was the someone and I also wonder how did they report it? What kind of, how did they say this thing that it got all Israel up into a tumult? And what about some of the big players? Where's Joshua? Where's Caleb? What are they thinking about all this sort of thing? So it says the whole congregation gathered together. The whole congregation gathered together to go to war. <laughs> so it, someone just said this thing and people began to hear it. And if they checked out the facts, they would have found out that the fact is true that they built an impressive altar. That fact was true, right? Well, 
there's the character of the person who's involved in telling the story, but there's also the character of the, of the people involved that the story is about. Joshua just got done saying, you people have been folks of your word. What was asked of you, you did completely. What you said you would do, you did completely. And he then charged them on those things that they should do. This is before Israel. And then he blessed them and they sent them on their way. So if that's the case, should not the children of Israel have contemplated the character of the people that were involved in the story and said, first off, I know in the past that they did what they said they would do and everything that was asked of them, they did it to a T. So how about we go and we talk with them? We find out what is going on. The whole congregation gathered together to war. Can you imagine being Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh? You're over there minding your own business. Just help these people out, conquer their land, did everything that you said that you would do. And then you turn around and here they all are with arm, armor, shields, swords, spears, whatever else they had for to fight with. And they're all rising up. We are going to kill you. Would that have an impact on your relationship? Well, we have responses as well. The saying, hearing, and interpretation are the main factors that form our responses. The saying, the hearing, and the interpretation. How it is said to us, how we hear it, and how we interpret it. Because there is the saying part when someone comes and gives us a report. There is the hearing part when we hear it and then there's the interpretation because not everything I heard with my ears is what I understood. Right? How many times have we understood people saying one thing and they didn't say it? And if you just went back and you replayed what it is, they, oh, wait, you didn't say that. You said it this way. I, I just, I heard it wrong. I interpreted it wrong. So there's a saying, there's a hearing, there's the interpretation. And these form our responses. And they also form our assumptions. Every person here lives their life based on assumptions. Assumptions are basically the ground level, the things that you cannot prove but believe to be so. Everyone has some assumptions. Can you prove that heaven exists? Even in the Christian world, folks, we have assumptions. It's an assumption we firmly believe. <laughs> I believe there is a heaven. But, right? But can I definitely prove it? I can't show you pictures. I can't tell you where it is. I haven't been there. I can't prove it by the statutes of proof, but I believe it. We all have assumptions. Now, I want to read to you some quotes that I pulled out. This is the, these are world people. These are not, you know preachers and men of God of the past, but they were good. <laughs> so I've, I must have read over about 50 of them. I pulled out a couple of them. Assumptions are the termites of relationships. Henry Winkler. <laughs> Fonzie. Here's another one. Begin challenging your own assumptions. Your assumptions are the windows on the world. Scrub them off every once in a while. Or the light won't come in. Alan Alda. I have learned through my life as a composer, chiefly through my mistakes and pursuits of false assumptions, 
not by my exposure to fonts of wisdom and knowledge. Let me read that to you again. I have learned throughout my life as a composer, chiefly through my mistakes and pursuits of false assumptions, not by my exposure to fonts of wisdom and knowledge. Igor Stravinsky. In other words, what we're saying is, when I chased after something that was wrong, I ended up learning more <laughs> than when wisdom was being poured out on me. How many of y'all know we've learned pretty well from our mistakes and from chasing things that were not quite right? One more. If we worked on the assumption that what is accepted as true really is true, then there would be little hope for advance. If we worked on the assumption that what is accepted as true really is true, then there would be little hope for advance. Orville Wright. If you look up on the internet, you can find all kinds of stuff. On, I was surprised at how many people had quotes on assumptions. And you can have some fun looking at the rest of them that I, I maybe some of the ones I read over as well. But assumptions hurt us. Because what happens is we have these things. We can't prove it, but I believe it to be true. And sometimes I have things about other people. Sometimes I have things about situations. And I believe them to be true. And so because I believe them to be true, I never challenge them. How many of you grew up in a church and believed that healing was not something as part of the atonement, not something as part of the cross? But eventually, at one point, you came to a place where that assumption was challenged and you got rid of it. How many of us had the assumption that God did bad things? Acts of God. That God killed people and took children home early and took husbands and wives away from each other. Well, we don't know why, but God has His ways. We believe some of these things. Because of that assumption, never challenged it. Didn't learn any. We, we cannot learn because of that, that assumption holds us back. That assumption shields us from a world of truth. But we can never get to it because of the assumption. We have to make sure that God can come along and challenge any assumption that we have. When He can take us back and say, hold on a minute, Steve. You've got an assumption going on here. You've had this for a while. It's held you back, but now you're ready to hear the truth on this. Let me share this with you. Hmm. And when God does that, it's not something that we just buy into all the time right away, is it? We, we mull on that. We chew on that. I mean, you're uprooting some stuff that I believe for a while. How? People that have gotten involved in works, righteousness or religion, and they think they have to earn their way to heaven, earn their way into God, and then you tell them, no, it's a grace gift, that's a hard thing to learn. There's a whole lot of assumptions they have and they have to be uprooted. So there's all kinds of assumptions we have. And I dare say, folks, we have some assumptions right now that are wrong. But we just don't know it. <laughs> We've accepted them as being true. And it's shaped who we are, shaped how we look at the Word. And God will eventually come along and tear down that assumption and fix that for us. Some of them might be harder to uproot than others. Some of them we might say, oh, I see that. Oh, I was such a dummy for believing that. And we can, we can be corrected. Verse 13, Then the children of Israel sent 
Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest to the children of Reuben, to the children of Gad, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, into the land of Gilead, and with him ten rulers, one ruler, each from the chief house of every tribe of Israel. And each one was the head of the house of his father among the divisions of Israel. Now what is interesting here, think about this, these are all brethren. But on one side of the river you have the half-tribe of Manasseh, and on the other side you have the half-tribe of Manasseh. And if you count the leaders, folks, the half-tribe of Manasseh on the west side sent somebody, and they are there. <laughs> They're ready to take out their close brethren. We're going to take you out. <laughs> take your land from you. I don't know what they're planning on doing, but they're ready to go to war. And each one was the head of the house of the fathers of the division of Israel. Then they came to the children of Reuben, to the children of Gad and half-tribe Manasseh, to the land of Gilead. And they spoke with them, saying, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, What treachery is this that you have committed against the God of Israel to turn away this day from following the Lord and that you have built for yourselves an altar that you might rebel this day against the Lord? There's no assumptions in that, is there? <laughs> Isn't it amazing the assumptions that are involved here? And yet they state them as fact. They state them that these things are true. Now, how is it that did you respond to people when they come to you with assumptions about you that are untrue? And this is where Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, this is what they're facing. All these tribes are up against them. And with this thing, and this is what this is how they come. This is the high priest. Well, the son of the high priest, he's eventually going to be the high priest. Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord. <laughs> Apart from what you guys are, we're of the Lord. One of them did Lord in two syllables, <laughs> just to make it sound good, you know. <laughs> what treachery is this that you have committed? That you have committed? What do they know that there's treacherous things? Do they know that they have committed them? That you have committed against the God of Israel? Do they know that they've done anything against the God of Israel? To turn away this day, have they turned away this day? From following the Lord, have they turned away this day from following the Lord? In that you have built for yourselves, did they build it for themselves? An altar that you might rebel? This is their goal to rebel. Do they know this? Have they talked with them? This day against the Lord. <laughs> I mean, wow. That is, that is such a statement. See, this is where we've got to go back to those, those three things. We've got to look at the impact of our actions. If you ever came to someone and you phrased the thing in this way, what have you done that you have rebelled, that you have gone against... What kind of response? What, what do you think you're going to get? You want more? Come on, bring it on. <laughs> you, you get people upset. You have got to listen to how you phrase things when you go up against people. You cannot just assume that they meant wrong. It's real hard sometimes. Because sometimes, you know, people, have, they'll say something and you sit there and say, man, how could that possibly be right? How could they possibly be right this thing? And you've thought it through. No, no, they have to be wrong. They have to be wrong. And then you get there and your dander's up and you're all fired up and you're ready to tear them to pieces. And it comes out like this. And this is what the people hear. Is there any restoration? Is there any trying to, you know, let's find out what's going on here. 
That's why you check out the facts. Now, certainly, they had reason to be concerned because we saw how God dealt with rebellion before. People died. Plagues rose up. Fire came down. Earth opened up. <laughs> Snakes were released. Plagues. All kinds of things. We, they know what God can do when rebellion comes out and they may be scared. We don't want God to come against us because of this rebellion. And they may be seeing that, you know, you're bringing us all into this sort of thing. Well, certainly there had reason to be concerned because they didn't have all the facts. But what you do is you go out and you get the facts. What they should have done is just sent maybe a handful of people on down there. If they wanted to send 10 people, one from each tribe, then that's fine. But just send 10 people on down there. Go on down there. Go check out the altar. Ask them what's going on. And then bring back word to us. Instead, they got the whole nation of Israel. I mean, they just got home. They got home to their own land. They finally took their, their settlements and their, their places. And now, this. They go on in verse 17. As if that wasn't enough. <laughs> Is the iniquity of Peor not enough for us? From which we are not cleansed until this day? Although there was a plague in the congregation of the Lord... But that you must turn away this day from following the Lord. So again, they accuse him of it. And it shall be, if you rebel today against the Lord, that tomorrow he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. You're not just bringing you guys into it. You're bringing us into it as well. He's going to be mad with us. <laughs> Nevertheless, if the land of your possession is unclean, then cross over to the Jordan of the possession of the Lord where the Lord's tabernacle stands and take possession among us. But do not rebel against the Lord, nor rebel against us by building yourselves an altar beside the altar of the Lord our God. So they, they're really serious about this. They said, look, if the land, if you got over here and the land is no good, or you something wasn't big enough, it was unclean, it was bad, fine. Come on back over here, we'll give you some of our land. Just don't rebel. Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, commit a trespass in the accursed thing, and wrath fell on all the congregation of Israel? We just went through that, and that's not even our father's. And the man did not perish alone in his iniquity. Then the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh answered and said to the heads of the divisions of Israel. Can you imagine standing there for the whole time while this speech is being delivered? And you're thinking the whole time, we didn't do it. We didn't do it. We didn't do it. We did not do that. They may have been trying to get a word in there, but it's not happening. They get that whole discourse out. But now they finally get a chance to answer. The Lord God, verse 22, the Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods, he knows and let Israel itself know if it is in rebellion or if in treachery against the Lord, do not save us this day. If we have built ourselves an altar to turn from following the Lord or if to offer on it burnt offerings or grain offerings or if to offer peace offerings on it, let the Lord himself require an account. But in fact, we have done it for fear, for a reason saying, in time to come, your descendants may speak to our descendants, saying, what have you to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a border between you and us, your children of Reuben and the children of Gad, and you have no part in the Lord. So your descendants would make our descendants cease fearing the Lord. Therefore we said, let us now prepare to build ourselves an altar not for burnt offering, not for sacrifice, but it, that it may be a witness between you and us and our generations after us that we may perform the service of the Lord before Him 
with our burnt offerings, with our sacrifices, and with our peace offerings, that your descendants may not say to our descendants in time to come, you have no part in the Lord. Already there is division between these tribes. Can you imagine these three tribes walking on over and having this conversation? I think they may cut us off eventually. Not let us come over to the tabernacle. Yeah, they might do that. And then we wouldn't be able to make sacrifices to God. Hmm. Imagine having that conversation. So there are assumptions on their part as well, aren't there? They've already seen way down the road. We're going to be pushed out. <laughs> and so they're before they're even in their homeland, they're making assumptions and having conversations about those assumptions. And they said, you know what? This is what we're going to do. We're going to build this altar. The thing is, they built it on their, not their side, the other side. They built it on the tribe's visual side, not their side. Because they wanted it to be a testimony to them that we belong. So they built it over there. Now, I would think if that's the purpose of the tabernacle that you're building, the altar that you're building, you ought to tell them. <laughs> you ought to tell people, say, this is what we're doing. So you can pass it down to your generations that come after you. And so everybody knows this altar represents that we're part of you guys. Even though there's a river in between us, we're not a different nation. We're part of the same nation. We all serve the same God. And we need to come over the river every once in a while and make sacrifices to God. I would think, you know, you got to tell them this. So we've got assumptions on all kinds of sides already. They just split up. And already we got people that are making assumptions about the other people. We didn't get to verse 28. Therefore we said that it may be when they say this to us, to our generations, in time to come, that we may say, here is the replica of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made, though not for burnt offerings, nor for sacrifices, but it is a witness between you and us. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn from following the Lord this day to build an altar for burnt offerings, for grain offerings, or for sacrifice beside the altar of the Lord our God which is before his tabernacle. So apparently the altar looks an awful lot like the one that they had. Now when Phinehas, the priest, and the rulers of the congregation, the heads of the divisions of Israel who were with him, heard the words that the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the children of Manasseh spoke, well, we didn't say the half-tribe, it pleased them. Then Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest said to the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the children of Manasseh, this day we perceive that the Lord is among us because you have not committed this treachery against the Lord. Okay, that tells you that, huh? Now you have delivered the children of Israel out of the hand of the Lord. They weren't in the hand of the Lord for destruction. <laughs> That's how they put it. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest and the rulers returned from the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, in the land of Gad, of Gilead, to the land of Canaan, to the children of Israel and brought back word to them. So the thing pleased the children of Israel and the children of Israel blessed God. They spoke no more of going against them in battle to destroy the land where the children of Reuben and Gad dwelt. The children of Reuben and the children of Gad called the altar witness for it is a witness between us that the Lord is God. So here it is. We have the first group that made all kinds of assumptions on their way and decided as they talked among themselves to build an altar before they crossed over the Jordan. And then the other people heard it, and they made all kinds of assumptions. They came down with war to kill them. And then they sent a delegation over, and they accused them in a very harsh manner. And then the people said, no, this was our intention. We were thinking that you were making wrong assumptions about you. 
just like you were making wrong assumptions about us, and they all said, oh, all right, well, as long as you're not rebelling against the Lord, we'll be all happy with that. And then they all head on back and they all think real good about it. They said, well, we took care of that situation. <laughs> now, that's what you call creating a situation and then diffusing it at the same time. It would have been a whole lot better if they didn't create the situation. Then they wouldn't have had a thing to diffuse. Both sides are wrong in this. Nothing is ever said about it. But both sides are wrong. Assumptions will hurt you. Don't make them. Three things at the end here. Three things. First off, consider the character. Consider the, always consider the character. This is something that you'll see in the Old Testament quite a bit. They had different messengers. And a messenger was either a good messenger or a bad messenger. They were either someone with good news or they were one with bad news. So when you looked far off and you saw, oh, it's John. John's a bearer of good news. Oh, I can't wait until John. I always like to see when John shows up because when John shows up, it's good news. It's good news. Oh, it's Harry. Harry always brings bad news. They never send Harry unless it's bad news. Oh, man. Now, you'll see this. In the um, in the uh, Old Testament, I'm trying to think of which one. Always, oh, I think it was with Absalom in that battle. And they sent the one messenger off, but the other messenger, he really wanted to run. I can relate to this guy. He said, I, I really want to run. I want to run. Let me run. I want to run. And they said to him, no, the news is bad today. You're not going to run. Oh, come on, please let me run. <laughs> no, the news is bad. You are a good runner. I don't want him to see you because the news is bad. But I really want to run. All right, fine, get out of my hair and go run. So he runs and he runs past the other guy and he gets there and he said, we won the battle. <laughs> Are we back on now? Yeah. All right, there we go. <laughs> so he gets on up there and he says, we won the battle. And David says, what about my son Absalom? Well, I don't know. There was a great commo- commotion, but I didn't see what was, he knew too well exactly what was going on. I don't know exactly what was going on. And then here comes the other runner. All right, well, you stand aside. Let's find out what this guy has to say. We won the battle, but your son is dead. And David was very sad. So the guy got in there. He had a reputation of being a good reporter, and he continued to maintain that, (laughs) even though he was a bit deceptive. Consider the character. Always consider the character. Allow people to grow in their character, but you must consider the character of any report that comes your way. Is this a person who stirs up strife? Is this a person who brings false information? Is this a person who is filled with assumptions? Is this a person who checks out the facts? Is this a person who brings harmony? These are things you want to understand. Check the character. Consider the character that's there. Second of all, check the facts. Consider the character. Check the facts. Just because you heard them doesn't mean that they're facts. Check them out. Make sure that what they're saying is what actually happened. Check the facts. Number three, count the cost or the impact. Count the cost or the impact. Is your reacting to this report worth the results that could come? You need to count the cost. There are some times you say it is worth the cost. We will, we will confront this. And there's other times you've got to say, you know what? We're going, to let, we're going to hold off on this for a little bit. We're going to give it some time. We're going to check out some things. I'm not going to respond to this right away. Consider the character. Check the facts. Count the cost. 
The children of Israel did not do this. Both sides botched this up as much as you possibly could have. They took a no story and they made it almost a civil war. And it never should have gotten to that place. All you had to do was check the facts. Or consider the character of the people that were involved. You just acclaimed their character. Joshua acclaimed their character very high. And now you're going to assume that they did something wrong? They went against God? That they were not, they suddenly became people not of their word? No, don't do it. From this story, we learn these things. If you can hold on to these things, if you can keep these three things in line, you will help your life out tremendously. It works with your kids. It works with your boss. It works with your employees. It works with the people you go to church with. It works with the people in the neighborhood. It works all the way around. Make sure you follow this. Just because you are familiar with the people does not mean you shouldn't follow these things. You need to check it out. You need to calm down, not respond out of emotion, but make sure who's involved. What kind of folks are they? What kind of things have they done in the past? Because you should be able to ride the character of your past into your future. Till you show yourself otherwise. If a person has shown themselves to be a reputable person, they are still a reputable person. Till you find out otherwise. You don't assume. Check the facts. Are the facts really true about what they said about these things? And then look at the impact. Sometimes a person just made a mistake. Let them make a mistake. <laughs> and let's go on from it. Again, look at the character. Look at the things that have gone on in the past. People of good character, David, person of good character, made some mistakes. But he's able to get past it and go on. <clears throat> Checked out the facts. We found out, David, these facts are true. We do need to address this thing. And, and it was done and it's taken care of. But I'll tell you what, these three things, they are real, real important. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us. That we can learn from people who have made such glaring mistakes of this, almost causing a whole civil war simply because they didn't check the facts. They didn't consider the character of the people that were involved or the impact of their decisions. Father, I thank you that you help us, that we will do that. We will be considering of all these things. Always mindful. Always mindful. And know that the things that we repeat ourselves are things that impact our character and our reputation. I thank you for the help that you give us to bear this in mind all the days of our life, to never forget what almost happened here at this altar. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.